Ah, come on, bless the name of the Lord in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, meet me in the book of Genesis chapter 3. As a matter of fact, we'll pick up the last verse in chapter 2 and then jump into chapter 3. Genesis chapter 2. We'll conclude at verse 3. Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 25. And then we'll go into chapter 3. If you got it, say, I got it. If you need more time, say, I need more time. It's the book of Genesis, y'all. Literally page 3. I know you ain't been to church in a while, but come on now. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Hear these words of our father. Um, Adam and his wife were both naked, uh, and they felt no shame. Didn't get no amens right there. All right. Amen. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, what had happened was this woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, well, what had happened was the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. I pray that in these next few moments, uh, 
you were moved by your spirit. Father, your children have gathered to listen. So get glory in this place. Father, I pray that you would tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us, God. God, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength, you are my redeemer, get glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Brandon. That was beautiful underscore there. Um, I, I want to talk about, in our time together, and, and Dave, he's, he said they got a seminar, so I got to be done at 1040. All right. So I got the clock. You know, a black preacher and the clock is like kryptonite to Superman. It just don't, it really don't go together. So if I start like hemorrhaging and scratching around 1040, it's because the clock is on me and it's, I'm having an allergic reaction to the clock. Um, um, but I want to take the um, uh, 40, 40 minutes, 39 seconds that I have left. Um, and I want to, oh, it's all, it's all love in a very hateful kind of way. Um, <laughs> Parenthetically, though, seriously, I, I don't see a clock, Dave. Does this confidence monitor work? Oh, oh, it's up there. There you go. Okay, all right. I got to look up to see it. Okay. It's oppressive. It's above me. It's, uh, anyway. Um, I can't even see it. And I know what you're da thinking, Dave. You just wasted three minutes. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about your family. Unlike most conversations that happen in these settings, um, you're pushed to see um, God's purpose for your life, uh, God's plan for your life, God's plan for your family, all the promises that God has for you and your family. I ain't going to talk about none of that today. It's not, it's not my assignment today. Um, I want to talk about Satan's plan for your family. Um, not only do I want to talk about his plan, but I want to spend the next 30 I want to spend my time um, talking about not just his plan for your family, but his strategy of how to execute his plan for your family. Now, in order for me to talk about his plan and his strategy, you need to know what his ultimate purpose is for your family. I know, I know God has a purpose for your life and you, and you know God's purpose, but you need to know Satan also has a purpose for your family. Oh, he's got a whole purpose statement. He got a whole mission statement. It's all written out. It's clear. For the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his end goal. And he's executing that strategy right now. There's a blueprint. There's a plan for the destruction and the perpetual dysfunction of your family. And it is in action right now. 
If you think you're just up here at Mount Hermon and he's somewhere chilling, having a cocktail, saying, I'm going to leave them alone because they're at Mount Hermon. I'm not even going to mess with them. they there. I can't touch them. You, you lost your mind. You crazy. He planning right now the car ride home. He going to say, he already got hurt. He going to, she going to say that. That's going to trigger that in you and it's going to go down. You won't even make it down the hill. You won't even be out of Santa Cruz before you all lost everything that God tried to do up here at Mount Hermon. Some of you, he tried to get you on the train while going to the beach yesterday and coming back. But we won't even talk about that. But let me just tell you, I know the Holy Spirit told me. I can point you out. <laughs> I know some families almost didn't make it yesterday. I can see it on your face. Because you up here like, oh, Albert, please let this be good because we need something bad. I can see the desperation on your face. <laughs> I am. Um, it's a very important message. Because what I need you to understand is that the strategy he's using on his family, it ain't a new strategy. It's the same strategy he used on the first family. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Satan ain't got no new tricks. So as we look at the first family and how he deceived the first family, I want you to begin to think about your family and to make sure that these same strategies don't perpetually work in your house, in your life, in your own soul. It starts, God says uh, in chapter one, um, he is creating he, uh, he's creating, he's creating these, these beautiful mountains, the beautiful trees, the redwoods, all of that, the fish and the fowls, the birds and the air, he's creating. And then he says, let us make man in our image. Well, first thing you got to ask is, who is us? Who, who is us? It, 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 it gives a nod to a theological truth that he's always existed in three persons. Jesus didn't show up in the book of Matthew with all those begots. Jesus was right there in the beginning. In the very beginning, it was always God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they always existed in three, uh, uh, three distinct persons, uh, but, but same substance, a homoousia. It's the same, same substance, the same, same person. Three, um, Tony Evans says it like this. Uh, um, uh, it's, like a, it's like a breaded pretzel. Y'all know the pretzel? Um, uh, same dough, but three distinct holes. Um, it was better when Tony said it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the early church fathers used to call it um, a, a perichoresis, this perichoretic dance, because they existed in three persons. And in the sense of this mutuality, this submission, and this holiness, in this fellowship, in this community, in this rhythmic movement of kindness, righteousness, holiness, love, joy, peace, it all existed. And they, they lived and this rhythm of holiness, it was this beautiful display of oneness in God. Three distinct persons, but moving the same substance, same mission, same vision, same submission and surrender to the Father. And they're existing in three purposes. And it's kind of like a, 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 a party. It's this celebration. It was this sweet fellowship in God in the midst of this oneness, this gloriousness, this perichoresis, this perichoretic dance. He says, oh, this is too good to keep to ourselves let us make man so that they might be invited to the party and experience the fellowship of holiness and oneness and love and peace. 
So he says, let us make man in our image so that they might experience this. This is too good for us to keep to ourselves and the birds and the fish. And, and, and they good, but they can't appreciate this like humanity can. So let us make man in our image. They, so, so he reaches into the dirt and he makes man. And he makes him in our image. And then he blew the ruach, the breath of God. And man became a living soul. And God looked at man. You're going to need some help. Uh, You're going to need some help. Uh, so. So watch this. He reaches into man's flesh, grabs the rib, and brings out a woman. The man came from the dirt, but the woman came from the flesh. Ladies, next time you get in an argument with your husband and he just cannot seem to relate or bring the emotional stability and maturity to the conversation and feel what you're trying to say, you got to remind yourself and remind him, oh, I forgot, you came from the dirt. I came from the flesh. I see why you don't get it. You came from the dirt. You came from the dirt. Now, 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 ladies, don't laugh too hard. There's a, there's a segment coming up in a few minutes that... Uh, You got man and you got woman, and they are um, they're now participating in this beautiful rhythmic dance of a righteousness, of oneness, of love. It's this beautiful scene where chapter two ends with them resting in the garden. And they're there. And, and the Bible goes, goes through, through great work to, to display that they are naked, but not ashamed. Because they are covered by the glory of God. And they're in the presence. And I can just see them there in the garden watching the sunset, sipping on religiously appropriate drinks. Um, and, and, and they're there. And it is, it, it is this beautiful scene that chapter 2 closes with. Um, um, in, in the Greek, it's, it's called akuna um, matata. Um, <laughs> It's this, it's this beautiful place. Um, I forgot. Some of the Dallas people are here. Uh, it's maybe not found in the Greek, but it's found somewhere in Africa. Uh, it all comes from Africa. Um, uh, Akuna Matata is this beautiful space, and they are just resting in this beautiful scene. Well, you need to know that scene lasts about two verses. Because in chapter 3, the serpent comes. And what I want you to pay attention to is the serpent's MO. I know we always talk about the story, but I want you to dig under the story with me. And I want you to see how the serpent did the conversation. Not just the conversation. I want you to pay attention to how he did the conversation. What does he do? He goes up to Eve. And the first thing he does, listen to it. Listen, look at the punctuation in the sentence of what he says to her. Did the Lord really say that you shouldn't eat from the tree? First thing he does is he questions what God really said. See, Satan's strategy, first thing he's going to do is try to get you to question God's word. Is that what he really said? Look at the question mark. He says, is that? Is that what it really said? His intention is to raise doubt 
about the significance and the authority of God's word. You need to know one of the first things Satan's going to do is get you to have a low view of his word. We live in a time now where it's an epidemic. The Bible is seen as some accessory to our life as opposed to the anchor of our life. We look at it as some extracurricular activity. If I get some extra time, I'll study my Bible. If I, if I get some extra space in my life, I'll go through. I love to do one of those studies. If I get, it, this is not an extracurricular book. This is not a book that you consult in moments of crisis. We treat it as if it's something where we get our plan for our life, and then we want to double check and let the Bible just kind of back it up. So we really want God not to be the author and the writer of our life. We really want him to co-sign what we already wrote. God, I got a plan for my life. I got a plan for my family. If you could just sign off as an as a, as a underwriter just to make sure cancer or tragedy don't show up. And if it does, I want to make sure I got you on board on my team just in case I get in trouble. But other than that, I pretty much got it laid out on how I want to go. You can't treat this book this way. This book isn't created or designed to complement your life. It's not designed to come alongside your life. You don't adjust this book according to your life. You adjust your life according to this book. But what Satan will do, and he'll use culture to do it, is to try to minimize the authority of this book to where it becomes this watered-down option amongst so many others of how you, how you should lead your life. And it will have you spending more time listening to spiritual gurus or motivational speakers or people to inspire you to be a person instead of listening to Paul, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because what those spiritual gurus won't tell you is that in order for you to become great, you got to have a cross on your back. You got to have sacrifice. And the only way is the name Jesus. See, they ain't going to tell you that. They'll hijack the principles of this book, put them in nice little bowls, and they'll give you the principles, but they won't give you the core conviction. There's a captain in the Navy who's navigating a ship. Um, and... Um, he sees this light coming at him, and it's threatening. They're on the path for collision. And like any good captain, he gets on the radio, and he gets on the horn, and he says, listen, this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship, uh, and I need you to adjust your position south. Uh, radio comes back on and says, um, I'm sorry, I cannot adjust my position. I need you to adjust your position north. Uh, <laughs> captain says, no, I'm sorry, you didn't understand me. I said, I'm the captain. Of uh, this U.S. Navy ship, and, and we are headed for a collision. I need you to adjust your position south. He says, no, uh, roger that. I had full clarity. I understood what you said, uh, but I need you to adjust your position north. He says, listen, I, I am the captain of this ship. I've had over 25 years in service, and I speak to you under the authority of the U.S. Navy. Adjust your position south. He comes back on. He says, well, I'm the lighthouse, and I need you to adjust your position north because the lighthouse don't adjust its position for no ship. Ships adjust its position to the lighthouse. Oh, I wish I had a witness up in here. This book is the lighthouse of your life. You don't adjust this book to your life. You adjust your life to this book. First thing Satan's going to do is try to get you to minimize the power and the authority of this book. Get you to question what he says. The next thing that he does, Eve responds to him and says, well, he said we can eat off of all of this. But he did say we couldn't eat off of that tree. And if we eat off that tree, then we'd surely die. 
you wouldn't surely die, would you? Notice the second thing he does. He doesn't question the word, but he says, listen to what he says. He says, see, God knows that if you eat the tree, you have full knowledge. And you know the difference between good and evil. Um, you'd be like God. You hear, what he, you hear what he does? He causes her to question God's motives. He seeds this cynicism into God's intention. See, what God is really doing is he knows you're going to be like him, and he don't want you to be like him, so he wants to keep you in this position over here. So he's keeping something from you. Second thing he'll do is get you to question God's goodness. Is God really good? Or is he hiding something from me? Is he really good? Or is the best part of this garden, is he keeping it from me? I was thankful for what I had until you suggested that maybe God was keeping something from me. So now instead of being grateful for all that I can eat, I'm questioning God's goodness and wondering, is he keeping the best from me? You see what Satan does? He gets you to question God's word, what he said, and then he gets you to question God's goodness. Because he knows that if he can get you to question God's goodness, then he can get you to question God's godness. Because nobody walks away from a God who's good. Did you get that? Should I say that again? Did I lose it? If he can get you to question God's goodness, then he can get you to question God's godness. Because nobody walks from a God who's good. This is why moments of crisis is when most people walk away from faith. When you talk to most people that have walked away from their faith, search it back to the root. It was at a moment where they were convinced that God wasn't good. Because how can a good God allow something so bad to happen? So if Satan can get you to question God's goodness, then he can get you to question God's godness. Maybe he's not God. Because how could a good God do something so bad? How could a good God do that? So he gets you to minimize his word. Then he gets you to question his goodness. Then finally, it says she looked and saw that what was once not good is now good and desirable. Watch this. Not to the soul, but to the eye. So her lustful desires has caused her to look outside of what God has provided. And acknowledging, questioning God's sufficiency. Is God enough? She reaches outside of what he provided and she grabs the fruit. Satan gets you to question his word, gets you to question his goodness, and he gets you to question his sufficiency. Five minutes ago, God had provided enough. But now he hadn't provided enough, and now she's reaching outside of what God has provided. I want to argue, every time you sin, you say to God, your word is a lie, your motives aren't good, and your provision is not enough. I'll say that again. Every time you sin, you say your word is a lie, your motives aren't good, and your provision is not enough. Albert, I've never said that. I know you'll never say it with your mouth, but you'll say it with your reach. When you reach outside of what he's provided. Because if his word was true, why would you go outside of the truth of his word to meet your own desires? If his motives were good, why won't you trust his motives and trust his will and follow his will instead of your will? If his provision was enough and sufficient, why would you reach outside of what he provided to fulfill any desire that you have if it was true?
In order for, your, in order for you to sin, you've got to check off each of those boxes. If, if you didn't, then you wouldn't have any reason to reach outside of what he's provided. The Satan, wants to, Satan wants to get you to question God's word. I know what his word says, but uh, it's not going to be the ranking authority. Because I'm going to make this decision based off of me and what I want to do. Okay, well, you just dismiss the word of God. God has shown me the way. He's shown me his will, but I don't want to go according to his will because I don't trust his motives. What if we take this new job and it turns out bad for us? I don't trust God. I don't trust God to really lead my life. That's what you just said. You'll never say it like that with your mouth, but you say it with your reach. God, what God has provided is not enough. You'll never say that with your mouth, but you'll say it with the extra hours you work all the time. With the greed that's driving you. You say it's for the family, but come on, let's be honest. How could something for the family be so damaging to the family? That was good. Let me say that again. (laughs) You say the extra hours is for the family, but it's damaging to the family because you're driven by greed. When God says, I've provided, and why is that not enough for you? You see what I'm saying? So watch this. Satan leads her in this discourse. And here's the problem. Problem ain't that Eve had questions or had doubts. I get it. The garden was new. It's confusing. She's okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. It's okay not to understand the dynamics. It's okay to be hit with something like, you know what? I don't know. The problem wasn't that she had questions. Listen, we've got a faith where you can have questions. You can have doubts. God is not intimidated by your questions or your doubts or even your cynicism. You get to even be cynical. You get to complain. You get to vent. Look at Lamentations. Look at, look at uh, uh, the book of Psalms. David be going off. He'd be so mad at God, so frustrated. He'd be trying to get God... He, I mean, literally, he'd be like, God, my enemies have rose up. Kill them and their mothers. And I hate it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> David be going out. David is ticked off. But he'd be like, oh, but God, you are sovereign and I trust your will. You know what I mean? Like, he, you get to lose it. You get to go off. Here's what you don't get to do. You don't, you don't get to have doubts and discuss them with a serpent. issue wasn't that she had doubts. The issue is that she had doubts and she took her doubts to a serpent when she could have talked to God. He was right there. Later on in the text, we see, what was he doing? He was walking around in the garden in the cool of the day. I don't know why I'm walking like this. This is how Jesus walked, according to what they taught me. I went to Fuller. I didn't go to Dallas. This is how they taught us he walked at Fuller. You know what I mean? This is... I know at Dallas, they say he walked like this, you know what I mean? But now at Fuller Jack, he was, hey, 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 hey. Sorry, I just messed up some registrations for last year, (laughs) for next year. (laughs) He, He was walking around in the cool of the day. All she had to do was say, God, is this good to eat or not? But instead of talking to God, she continued talking to the serpent. Tell you something, the most dangerous thing you can do is talk to the serpent. You navigate in faith and struggling. It's not, that you, it's not that you're struggling with your faith. That's normal. We all struggle with it. I, did you hear what I said? I said, we all, I'm, I'm the speaker of the week. And I said, I struggle with it. We all struggle with it. We all have moments when we look up to God and say, Really? 
what, what, what are you doing? I mean, I don't say it out loud a lot because I don't want Jesus to kill me because I believe in the Old Testament. But, <laughs> but we all struggle. The question is, are you struggling talking to a serpent? I have people at the church, and I hadn't seen them in a long time. And I said, I said, I said why do you stop coming to church? Well, Pastor, I just had, you know, I was struggling with my faith, and I just had doubts. And so you stop coming. That's when you start coming. That's when you come. That's when you have doubts. That's when you come when you have questions. So, so wait, let me get this straight. You're going to stop coming to church because you have doubts, but now you're spending Sundays hanging out with your weed head friends, smoking weed, talking about the doubts there. Is that where you took your doubts? Sitting around talking about, yeah, man, I just don't know, bro. It's just so confusing. Yeah, man, I felt like I had an experience with God the other night. It was the couch and the flowers were moving, bro. Whoa, that's inspiring. No, it's not. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. What are you doing? Put the weed down and come to church. Let's see, Satan wants you to keep the conversation going on with him instead of bringing it to a faith community. So Satan has this conversation. She eats. Then she gives it to Adam. Did you see my, did you see my body motion? Did you see what I did? I said, she eats. And she gives it to Adam. See, all these years, I thought Adam was somewhere at work. I thought he was out. Dog. <laughs> Cat. <laughs> Baboon. <laughs> Giraffe. Yeah. Oh. Elephant. Uh, you know, I'm thinking he out naming that. No, 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 no. Read the text. What does it say? It says, she ate and then gave it to her husband who was there the whole time. Adam, you mean to tell me you sat there and watched a serpent talk to your wife and you didn't do anything about it? Looks like passivity and manhood started a long time ago. <laughs> Husbands, let me tell you, don't you sit in that house and let serpents talk to your wife and you do nothing. Don't you sit in that house and let serpents talk to your children and you do nothing. Don't you sit and allow serpents to come in. And ladies, you don't get off the hook. Don't you let a serpent talk to your husband either. Don't let a serpent talk to your children. Here's the other thing. I don't have, I wish I had more time. Um, um, here, here's the other thing. I, I'll talk about me. I, can I talk about me? What I, what, what I realize is that the serpent has a tone and an impact with how he speaks. And the, one of the most sobering, humbling moments is when I realize Satan's strategy and how he was using me to speak his tone to my wife. He was using my voice to fulfill his assignment. Because husbands, we can speak with the language of the serpent to our wives. Wives, 
You can speak with the language of the serpent to your husbands. In other words, he'll use your mouth to fulfill his assignment. Ah, I'm going to go here. I, didn't, I was going to skip over it, but I'm just going to go here. I, I'm having an, uh, um, uh, let's see, our therapist has given us new language, an, an intentional discourse that's heated with my wife. It's, um, it's, uh, back in the day, I called it an argument, but it is a... Are you willing to give up seven, eight, ten minutes? Yeah. <laughs> I can just give you a hard time. It's an easy bit, but I'm okay with time. But I will take it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look, and I'm, I'm arguing with my wife. And here's the thing. I'm trying to encourage her. I'm, in, I'm, I'm literally encouraging her. I am giving, she's got a, something hard she's got to do, and she's just wrestling with it, and I encourage her. I said, listen, God's going to use you. God's going to do great things for you, and if you can't realize that, if you can't see what God's doing in your life, you must be crazy. And she wasn't inspired. Like, yo, I inspire people for a living. <laughs> this is what I do. I am a communicator, okay? I speak life and people are encouraged. I got emails to prove it. This is what I do. I'm good at this. So when I'm sitting in my living room, I'm looking at you and I'm telling you, you need to be encouraged and stop walking around like a victim. You got authority and power, so stop acting like this. And she didn't get it. <laughs> well, because I know what I was saying, and I know the intent in which I was saying it. But I didn't realize that I had, spit, I had, I had grabbed the same tone. And I was speaking in the same tone that the serpent speaks to her in. So in other words, the serpent speaks discouragement and exposes her insecurities and her insufficiencies. So when I was talking to her, my words still landed on insecurity and insufficiency. So here I am sounding like the serpent. And I was trying to sound like a saint. Has the serpent hijacked your tone and your voice to where when you speak to your wife, you sound like the serpent? Your words have the same impact. She doesn't leave a discourse and discussion with you feeling better about herself? Feeling as if she's been mirrored and seen in the image of God. Feeling as if she's been heard and recognized as a father sees and loves and recognizes a daughter who's hurting. Are they, are they feeling better about who they are and who God's created them to be? Are they feeling absolutely worse? Because the serpent has hijacked your vocal cords and you sound just like him. When he comes home and he's had a long day and you greet him. And you begin your discourse of all the things that you need and all the things that he's not providing and all the places where you need him to show up and all the places that he refuses to show up and all the things and all the things that you're carrying. Do you sound like the serpent? Because what you may or may not realize is all day long, the Satan's been telling him, you're not enough. You're not good enough. Your dad wasn't a good provider. You're not a good provider. You don't know how to show up with your kids. You're intimidated. You want to be a spiritual leader, but you have no idea how to. 
Every model you've seen has been broken, so you've never seen it before. So it's hard for you to do something that you've never done. And Satan's telling you that all day long. And then you come home and you see your bride. And she begins to speak. And her voice sounds just like the recorder that you've been hearing all day. It's getting hot in here. I am getting so Hello in here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hello? Can we talk about Satan's strategy? He wants to use your mouth to fulfill his assignment concerning your spouse. Not only that, concerning your children. If you don't think Satan started talking to them already, you're crazy. The serpent starts early. He's calling right now. Serpent is on the phone. What we got to figure out is how he got your phone number. That's the, that's the question. He's talking to your children. Telling them what they're not. Creating insecurities. Your belly's big. Your forehead's big. You're not this. You're not that. Nobody likes you. And then you come in barking orders, barking things, and do this and fix this. You ever checked your tone? You ever sat down and listened long enough to hear what Satan's been whispering to him? What insecurities are showing up? And how do you make sure that you present a voice that restores and not perpetuates? Ah, she gives it to him. He passively receives it and first thing it says is now they're naked and ashamed. Same, same nudity, but they've lost the covering of the glory of God. They no longer live in the covering of his glory and in the absence of his glory, you change clothes instead of wearing glory. Now they're wearing shame. You want to know the quickest wardrobe change your life will have? Is when you walk in sin and not walk in the glory of God. Shame is the first outfit Satan wants you to put on. He wants to be your stylist. And he wants you to wear shame every day. And he wants you to wear shame and have accessories of guilt. Woo! I'm preaching this morning. I don't... Are y'all in here with me? He wants you to wear shame. And some of you have been wearing the outfit that Satan dressed you in for years now. Because you've worn it so long, it fits so well. It's hard to take it off. So now instead of looking in the mirror and seeing the image of God, you see this broken, shattered image of yourself. And you start dressing according to the brokenness and not dressing according to his righteousness. So you start putting on stuff that don't fit his righteousness, but it fits your brokenness. The text says they grab fig leaves immediately to cover themselves. But what they don't understand is you can't cover in your power what was once covered by God's presence. Ooh, that was good. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Hey, y'all. You cannot cover in your power what was once covered by God's presence. You try to cover with fig leaves, but they're just a cheap counterfeit. To the great original of God's glory, 
But that's what we do. When sin comes in, we put on shame and we start to cover. And we start grabbing for fig leaves instead of grabbing for God. In that moment, they could have cried out and said, God, we messed up. Cover us. But no, they start fixing it themselves. Give me a fig leaf. You get the fig leaf and you cover. Because that's what sin does. He gets you to start covering stuff. And instead of grabbing back for the glory, you start grabbing for cheap counterfeits. You start grabbing for You really desire intimacy with God. That's what you really desire. That's what you really, really want. But instead of pursuing intimacy with God, you end up grabbing pornography. The fig leaf. Because it gives you a cheap sense of intimacy for seconds. And then it leaves you empty. That's why pornography is so rampant in the church. It's not that you're a perv and you're nasty and all. I mean, you can, that's all the stuff the world says. But what's really spiritually going on with you is you want connection. You want intimacy. You want to feel at a very deep and intimate level. But instead of doing the hard work of surrendering vulnerability and coming to God, instead of being frustrated at your spouse because they're not meeting your fleshly need, because you're not willing to do the hard work of vulnerability that, that ushers in sexual intimacy, you just grab a fig leaf and you try to cover in your power what could only be covered by the glory of God. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what's going on. You really, you're longing for God, but you're reaching for leads. You just think more money is going to give you security. And it's a noble desire. I want security. I want security. The problem is the security that you're longing for can only come from God. So instead of resting in him and saying, my family is going to be protected and provided for because of the security that comes from God and reaching from God, you reach for fig leaves of more money. Because if we just had another $20,000 a year, we just have everything. So you start grabbing for more, grabbing for more. You know what the person that has everything wants? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So you're grabbing for the fig leaf of security when you need the blessed assurance that only comes from God. You see what I'm saying? See how I used the hymn to make a point, the blessed assurance. You see how I did that? It was, it was, <laughs> oh my God, so good. <sighs> so the grabby's fig leaf. Here's the strategy of Satan, all right? Are y'all rolling with me? Gets you to question his word, question his goodness, question his sufficiency. Once he's gotten you to reach outside of God's will to sustain and supply for your life, then the first thing he dresses you in is shame. And then you start grabbing for fig leaves to cover in your power what can only be covered in God's presence. So shame comes. You start covering. And then you hide. You start hiding. Shh. We're not going to talk about it. I'm not going to tell anybody what's really going on with me. I'm going to come to Mount Hermon. I'm going to do these rope courses. I'm going to go get coffee. I'm going to sit around the fire pit. But I'm not going to be honest about what's happening. And then you teach your spouse not to tell the truth either. Some of you, you had a prerequisite coming up this mountain. Hey, when we get up here, we're not going to tell nobody about what's going on. 
I know we're going to have little prayer groups and little Bible study time. Some of you are in life groups. On your way to life group, you say, no, listen, we're not talking about such and such. Don't you bring it up. What happens in the house stays in the house. One of the biggest lies that Satan ever told you because he wants to keep you hostage because sin will make you start hiding. They hide. They said they, they hide, but they're terrible hiders. Adam, he, he'd be the worst player for hide and go seek ever in the history of the game. He hides, but watch how he hides. It's like he, it's like, it's like me trying to hide behind this stool. It's like, um, y'all can't see me, can you? Yes, we can see you, fool. You right there. This is what he's doing. He's hiding. Listen to it. Y'all think I'm making it up. Listen to what he says. God comes and he says, where are you? Now, you need to know when God asks, where are you? It ain't because he's scared that he didn't lost Adam and Eve. He ain't up in heaven like, oh, Lord, have y'all seen Adam and I didn't lost the first family. Lord, Jesus, will you go look for them? Lord, how much? Where is Adam and Eve? They ain't lost. <laughs> he didn't say, where are you? Because he didn't know where they were. He said, where are you? To give them an opportunity to tell the truth about where they were. Where are you? Are you ready to be honest about where you really are? Adam, terrible, terrible, terrible at this game. Terrible, terrible. Hide and go see. He's supposed to be hiding, right? That's the, that's the goal. He's supposed to be hiding. God says, where are you? We over here in the bushes. We hiding. You ain't supposed to tell him where you are when you're hiding. It's like, we hiding over here. We heard you was coming, and we was naked, so we was scared, so we hid. No, over here in the left side, in the bushes, <laughs> up under the tree. Yes, that's us hiding. We over here hiding. Watch this. God says, who told you you were naked? Where'd you get that from? I never said that about you. Who Have you been talking to the serpent? Because that's serpent language. That ain't God language. I never told you you were naked. You never got that word from me. Isn't it amazing how many things we've gotten about ourselves that God never said about us? Who told you that? So we now bring terms back to God in prayer and in surrender. And he's like, where did you get this stuff from? I never told you that. Who said you were ugly? Who said you were discouraged? Who said you were a victim? Who says you were fat? Who said you were insecure? Who said you weren't enough? I never told you that. I've never said that about you. Those words have never come out of my mouth. So why have you held on the words that haven't come to the Father from the Father and the words that have come from the Father you hold so loosely? Now the word that I did give you, you dismissed it. Why? Because Satan wants to come and get, cause you to minimize God's word. You see how that happened? You see what just went full circle right there? So God's words you hold loosely, but Satan's word you hold, dear, you hold dearly. says, who told you that? Some of you are walking around now with lies that Satan told you and you've allowed them to land on your soul and they've shaped you for who you are. Some of you, 20, 30 years, 
Some little kid, some snot-nosed kid in the third grade made fun of your forehead and said you had a big forehead. And for 30 years, you've been wearing bangs because you were insecure about your forehead. Your beautician be like, girl, won't you cut it up? Do that. It's like, no, no, I got this forehead. I got to cover this up, girl. You let some snot-nosed kid now mark you for life, and now you scared of your forehead. In the name of Jesus, cut them bangs back. Get a ponytail. Let that forehead shine for the glory of God. Girl, you didn't grew into that forehead now. It's right-sized. Some of you, some of you, Satan, because of your sexual past, he told you you weren't worthy. And you've been wearing it ever since. Because you couldn't have kids, he said you were less than a woman. And God never said that about you. Because of your dad and the lack of model you had, you don't think you're a good man. You don't think you have what it takes. So you don't show up strong because you're passive or because you're lazy. You don't show up strong because you're scared. Because as a dad, I'm so insecure because I've never seen it done before. And I see all these other dads and all this, so I just don't feel like I got it. So I'd rather just stay back and be accused of being passive instead of being accused of being inept. Because you believe the lie that Satan told you. And I've come to tell you, your father never said that about you. So stop believing stuff that your father never said. Don't you hold the serpent's words more closely than you hold the words of the father. The father says, you are my beloved son and my daughter whom I'm well pleased. You are my, I loved you so much. My son gave his life just for you. That's how worthy you are. They come clean with God. And then. He says, what happened? And that's when they start blaming one another. Y'all remember chapter two? The end of chapter two, they were sitting together naked, no shame. Now here they are in the garden with fig leaves on, pointing and blaming one another with dysfunction. Because when you listen to the serpent, you fulfill his plan for your life. And his plan was to get this beautiful family now standing, covering, hiding, and blaming. That's what he wants to do with your family. What I love is what we see in chapter 3, and we'll end here. God steps in. He says, I got to fix this. He looks at these, I almost look at it like a, like little kids that's gotten caught and they didn't color the house. He looks at Adam and Eve with these fig leaves on and I can just think he says, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like he looks at us trying to cover up stuff in our life and trying to fix stuff. You're trying to fix something right now in your own hands and God is saying, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I know at your church, God doesn't talk like that, but <laughs> at my church, he does. He is, is, is. Look at these fig, look at these leaves, look at this. This is ridiculous. 
And that's when God does it. Jason, you can come. That's when. The Bible says that he covers them with animal skin. Now I need you to. I need you to bring your theological inductive reasoning here. If he covered them with animal skin. means God had to take what he created. He had to take an animal. And kill it. Blood was shed. Sacrifice was made. So they could be covered. Blood was shed. Sacrifice was made. So he could pull off the fig leaves. And cover his children. That wouldn't be the first, the last time he'd have to do that. Ultimately, after a lot of skin, a lot of animals, he said, we've got to fix this once and for all. And in that paracoretic dance, he had to look at his only begotten son and says, I need you to put on flesh and go down there. And when you go, Your blood's going to have to be shed. Sacrifice is going to have to be made so that we can be covered. The lamb came and through his blood sacrifice on a day like today at Mount Hermon with donuts waiting in the back. You can pull off the fig leaves. You don't have to do in his power what can only be done in his presence. You get to receive the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pull off the fig leaves, take off the shame, and take your place in the paracoretic fellowship. This oneness that you were created for. You weren't made to be out there on the outside. You weren't designed to wear shame. You were designed to be in the presence of his glory. Not by your righteousness. Your righteousness couldn't get you in the door. But they don't see your righteousness. When you walk in, they see what you're covered by. And that's the blood of the lamb. Your fig leaves won't give you access. But the lamb will. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you. And I pray now for every fig leaf wearing brother and sister in here. Those that have been wearing shame. Those that have been walking in hiding. Those that brought secrets up here. Shh. We're not going to talk about it. Because Satan has convinced him that it's better to hide than to live in the light of the truth. Well, today we speak against every lie that the serpent has ever been saying. Father, I pray for the husbands and the wives, the spouses that have been speaking in the language of the serpent. 
I pray, pray that repentance would flow freely in this house. That couples will pull together by the fire pit and repent for the times that they spoke on behalf of the serpent. Instead of speaking in the language of the Father, our Savior. Father, I pray that this would be the beginning of a spiritual conversation that you'd have with us throughout our days here at Mount Hermon. Would you speak, O oh Lord? Your children have gathered on this mountain to listen. In Jesus' name, amen.